Hey everyone, welcome back to Colin Zach in the morning. This is a very special episode. We're glad that you've joined us. Zach, how are you doing? Oh, fantastic. Fantastic. Tell me why you're fantastic. Oh, um, it's been a really busy month. Very busy. Yeah. And I hate to, I hate when people say, Oh, I'm just so busy. I'll be honest, I've been really busy and it's I see the end. I see the end of the busyness. March March 1st is tomorrow by the time we're recording this, and it'll be a beautiful day that March 1st. Well, I'm looking forward for you getting there because that's just in time for March Madness. Oh, and that's such a beautiful month. Oh, oh I'm so excited. <laughs> so this past weekend, Ashley and I had some time off and we uh, went ice skating. Actually, the U.S. Olympic speed skating team trains here in Milwaukee. Hmm. And so we went to uh, their like ice rink and you get to skate around their rink. We went with some friends and it was a lot of fun. And I fell. That's cool. A lot. I'm excited for you in that. It was rough. So I I don't usually think of myself as having bad balance, but I was mm. awful at ice skating. We hadn't been in a few years, but this rink didn't have any walls. <laughs> so <laughs> I couldn't like brace myself well, it's for on professionals, anything. professionals, Cole. Come on. I know. I know. I, I, I get that. And I get that I'm not a professional, but still, if I were to go in a straight line, I would just careen off this, the ice rink and that would hurt. I am terrible at ice skating. I never want to go ice skating. Jackie, Jackie likes ice skating, but I think we did it one time. And I don't remember her being like really great at it, but still a lot better than me. And so like, I just, I tend to avoid things I'm not good at just for my own pride, quite honestly. But I would have <laughs> loved watching so many, you fall for like an hour. Yeah, I'm sure you would have. There were so many people out there though that were professional ice skaters or I don't uh, know, maybe not professional, uh, but good at ice skating. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> like doing twirls and little jumps oh, and things. And I was like, uh, how come I'm not on the same ice that they're on? Because their yeah. ice seems really easy to be yeah. on. And, and I mean, the I ice did I'm on keeps knocking like, me over. I went rollerblading as a kid. And like, it was always frustrating because I would be like holding onto the wall or like I'd build up enough like confidence to like go off the wall a little bit. Uh, but mm -hmm. I would always still get frustrated with like the pros who are like doing it backwards and like doing some jumps here and there and all. And I'm like, who are you trying to impress? Like you're by yourself. You're with no one. Are you trying to, like, I, I took it personally. Like they're rubbing it in my face as I'm gripping onto this wall, trying not to die. And they're all like doing all these cool moves, but I'm glad. Did Ashley like it? Ashley did. Yeah. So this is the podcast for people without balance and we can, we can own <laughs> that. I think <laughs> today we have a very special episode and we're actually going to change things up for the next few weeks. So Zach and I had a conversation with Dr. Chad Maxson, who's a professor at Olivet and an expert on eschatology, the study of the end times. And so we had this interview and it went so well that we want to break it up into three parts and discuss what we talk about in the interview after the interview. So today we're going to focus on the basics of eschatology and what we can learn from the study of the end times in our interview with Dr. Chad Maxson. And then we'll be back after we play this first part of the interview to discuss our thoughts on it. So here is the first part of our interview with Dr. Chad Maxson. Today, we have a super special guest. We have uh, Dr. Chad Maxson, who has a PhD in systematic theology from Vanderbilt University, which you just recently got like a couple months ago, right? Yes, I did successfully oh, awesome. defended yes. and he Congrats. also has an edd in ethical leadership from all of it nas university where he's also an associate professor of philosophy and theology in the school of theology and christian ministry 
He has several several publications in the areas of his dissertations, as well as in Wesleyan theology. I think my big question is to start us off is what was your dissertation in? Uh, it was the question of uh, Revelation, uh, and in some part touching on some of the questions that we might talk about today. If God reveals God's self through the Bible, and we're reading the Bible, we, but we come up with different interpretations about what God's saying. What does that mean about Revelation? If God just speaks right into my head, but I hear God through a particular language, that's cool, right? But Spanish uh, doesn't have a word for righteousness. It just has a word for justice. So oh, wow. if God, if, I, if I'm hearing God talk about justice all the time, that might mean something different to me than if I speak English and I'm hearing the word righteousness. I might think God has different interests uh, by those two words. So even the language that I use kind of has an impact on how we understand and make sense of God. So I mean, I was curious about how we uh, really uh, unpack this uh, really critical doctrine of revelation for Christian faith and belief. Well, I'm so glad you took the time to join us because Cole and I have actually been talking about this recording for a long time because we often find ourselves in a lot of conversations on eschatology or what happens at the end times, what happens when we pass, what does heaven and hell look like? So when you, Dr. Maxson, start to hear these like words like eschatology and you start to kind of hear these things, what kind of comes to your mind as you start to prepare like your very introductory level courses for students on the study of what happens in the end? Well, you know, probably like your audience, and as you've discussed, uh, my students are coming into a class like that from all types of different backgrounds and perspectives uh, with different presuppositions about what we're going to be talking about. Uh, and I try my best to disappoint all of them. So I'll try not to disappoint <laughs> your listeners, though, because uh, I wouldn't want to do that to you guys, my friends. So we have to start getting on the same page somehow and kind of establishing some common grounds through just what we mean when we're talking about eschatology, the end things, the end times. Uh, and we get a lot of our understanding about what that looks like from pop culture. And we maybe overlay that onto the Bible more than we ought to sometimes. Yeah, I'm really excited to have you on the podcast. And that little thing about Spanish not having a word for righteousness is like blowing my mind. And I hope we have a chance to get to that at some point. But I want to go back to this eschatology and like the basic definitions of it. And I was in a church service just a couple of weeks ago, and we sang two songs in that service, one of which said that at the end times, we would be raised up to heaven. And the other, which said that at the end times, God's going to come down and dwell among us. Um, and so how do we wrestle with like all of these different perspectives and ideas about what actually happens at, at the end times. There's a couple points I would start with in, in response to, uh, to what you're suggesting here. The, the questions you're raising here, Cole, these are important questions for all of us. Uh, I think, first of all, we have to start by just acknowledging that interpreting the Bible is hard. Um, mm -hmm. And I was just having a conversation with some students about this. Uh, does the, the Bible provide objective truth and knowledge to us? I'm like, well, if we have to interpret it, uh, then you know, probably mm -hmm. God has access to the objective truth of the Bible. But unless we get to peek over God's shoulder, I don't know what it means to say that we would have a, uh, access to that objective truth about the Bible. And, you know, um, so just acknowledging that interpreting the Bible is hard. I think uh, that's already a step in nurturing um, the virtue of intellectual humility, which I think is really critical mm -hmm. for not just uh, theological knowledge, but for the life of, of faith, for, for our spirituality. Uh, Christianity 
uh, one of the core values and one of the core virtues is humility. That applies to our, our to our knowledge and our understanding of the Bible as well. But the second thing is, um, is I think it, 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 we want to reflect on why these questions and why these topics matter to us. What drives our interest in them and what do... Mm-hmm. However we answer these questions, what do our answers reveal to us about our faith and what we believe? What's at stake for us in these topics? So um, Amos 5.18, it, it says, why do you want the day of the Lord, right? Uh, and, and the yeah. idea in that passage is uh, a lot of you people, the prophet is saying, who are uh, wanting God to come, the day of the Lord to appear, aren't going to like it when it happens. I, I think uh, a lot of us Christians, we assume that when the day of the Lord arrives uh, and God's judgment arrives, we're going to be vindicated and, and, and blessed and stuff like that. Hopefully that's true. But uh, what these issues we're talking about, going up to heaven, heaven coming down, these ideas, they start to structure our relationships to others in particular mm-hmm. ways. Uh, They start to restructure our relationships in our churches and from our churches outside of our churches in particular ways into our society. And so these ideas function, have functional value and utility for us. And so starting off by asking, why do I, why am I asking these questions that I am about what's going to happen with heaven? Is it going to come down? Are we going to go there? How, do the, how does the answer to those questions start to shape my relationships here and now? And what does that reveal about my faith? What does that reveal about the Jesus that I worship and that I follow? And if we're supposed to be about service, you know, like uh, servant leadership, right? Serving the other, sacrificial love and those sorts of things. Um, then it seems like our answers ought to embody that type of love. The idea of heaven is... is uh, the way we talk about it in these contexts doesn't show up frequently in the Bible at all. The word heaven is used all the time in the Bible, but not in that type of way. There's this place we're going to go to when we die. As you probably know, and maybe your listeners know, we don't start to get the sense of an afterlife at all until this intertestamental period between the Old Testament and the New Testament. Uh, So you don't have an afterlife really going on in the Old Testament at all. And so that's why, you know, the Sadducees and Pharisees are debating about this possibility of this afterlife. It's kind of a new idea at the time. Uh, mm-hmm. And so you you start to get Jesus siding with the, the, the folks who says there is going to be an afterlife. And so we start to associate heaven with this place we go when we die in the afterlife. But even in the New Testament, there's not a ton of clarity around that. Uh, and so we have to start filling in those gaps, right? And, and so for Bible-believing, Bible-following people, that might end up being a lot of gaps we have to fill in. And that what do we do with that then? So in First Thessalonians, it talks. Uh, Paul talks about uh, when Jesus returns, we're going to be caught up into the clouds when where he is. Uh, but but it doesn't say Jesus is going to take us then back to heaven. It seems like Jesus, the trajectory of Jesus is coming here, and mm-hmm. the dead in Christ will be raised first, which sounds like the resurrection, right? They're raised from the dead, mm-hmm. and that we who are still in Christ will be caught up in the clouds to meet him in his coming. Is are we going to hitch a ride back to heaven at that point, or are we just so excited to be with Jesus like little puppy dogs when their 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 people come home? We're just jumping up to see Jesus, and is Jesus just going to come and settle down on earth then and establish the new heaven and the new earth at that point? The scripture doesn't answer that question. On what basis do we then answer the way we want to, the, the way we do? What, what's the base? What's the reason for the way we answer that question? I think is important for us to think about.
so how often as a professor who's 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 diving into these very deep very nuanced conversations how often do you find uh your students kind of engaging in that wrestling but also finding a little bit of maybe frustration with that wrestling of these difficult topics uh it depends if we're talking about pre or post pandemic students <laughs> oh. <laughs> oh really you get really? very different you... uh, levels of engagement <laughs> <laughs> but uh, typically, you know, you know, students taking these classes, uh, that I, I, I'm not teaching the gen ed classes that everyone has to take, in which case everyone is sitting in their seat very grumpy. That they have to be there and they don't care. Right? <laughs> uh, but but the, when we get into the upper division classes, these are like ministry students. And, and so these sorts of things start to matter more to them. Um, and uh, as we start to engage with these questions that, 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 that bring their what they thought they knew about the Bible into question, uh, it can be very difficult, uh, painful. I remember myself, you know, a lot of existential anxiety and spiritual anxiety, mm. uh, some tears, right? Uh, sometimes mm. when some of the beliefs that we thought were obviously true, we now start to wonder, maybe uh, it's not as biblical as I thought it was. Uh, what do I do then? It's hard to let go of those mm. because we build our identity around those sorts of answers. Mm -hmm. uh, we yeah. build what we think we know about what is good and true and what God wants in the world around those answers. And to, for those answers to be threatened, it, it threatens us. We become uh, a lot of times very defensive. And we do get some defensive students, but I'm happy to say that for the most part, uh, our students, uh, my students have, have tended to be open to these kinds of opportunities to grow in their faith. And they see it often as an opportunity to grow in their faith. Not always. Sometimes. <sighs> Well, I think a follow-up to that is you've talked a lot about biblical humility and part of the defensiveness comes out of maybe a lack of the humility we take into reading scripture. As as a professor, as a someone who has an EDD, a PhD, someone who could sit very much sit in a seat going, yes, I know the Bible and I know this topic. How do you approach scripture with humility and like how do you encourage your students to do that? Well, I'm a theologian, not a biblical scholar, so I do want to make uh, clear that that's mm. a dif difference. Uh, and mm. uh, while our theology definitely engages deeply with the Bible, um, there's uh, there's other what we call sources of theology as well that that that, often, that, that when they work well come to the aid of understanding Scripture. Uh, so reason, experience, um, and tradition uh, in the Wesleyan context usually are the other three sources that we that we associate with our theology i i think i uh, i view the bible as uh, in my relationship with the bible as a mode of worship right so when i'm worshiping what i'm not doing is grasping everything with closed fists and threatening to fight everyone who disagrees with me right mm. um wow. that's that's uh, not what i associate with worship so when i what i think of uh, as worship is i think of having my palms uh, raised to heaven, my hands open, right? Giving back to God what God has given to us. And when we try to take possession of the scripture and close our fists around it and start to defend our views and interpretations of it, um, I, I have some serious uh, questions about what's, what's actually happening at that point. Um, and so uh, this is what I encourage my students to do is to hold our theology, hold our Bible uh, lifted back into God uh, as a form of, of thanksgiving for what God has given to us. And uh, that, uh, that posture uh, really fosters a lot more spiritual growth and a lot more humility and a lot more gratitude, I think. 
What's an example of Oh, no, you're going to ask about examples. I'm in trouble. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> but I'm just thinking about how often we we do close our fists around scripture. So what do you is there an example that comes to mind of something that students often try to hold to or something that the local church tries to hold to that really isn't explicit in scripture but is something that we've interpreted in our cultural context? Yeah, so uh, Zach knows my wife, right? And um, my my <laughs> wife knows that the fastest way to win an argument with me is to ask me for an example because I'm terrible at them. Uh, but uh, in this case, you know, I think we can find some points of contact pretty quickly, some examples pretty quickly. Like when I talk about things like ethics and morality, a lot of my students uh, who are Christian, which most of them are, uh, like to point real quickly to the Ten Commandments as this is the source of Christian ethics, right? And then I start to ask them to name the Ten Commandments and like they can't do it, right? So we like to point to the Ten Commandments as evidence of... Our- there definitely wasn't a politician that did that like two months ago, so that's totally fine. <laughs> I, did, I actually uh, wasn't thinking of anything of that nature. Um, <laughs> but uh, but let's let's take the, ten, the commandment about thou shalt not kill, right? Uh, and that's King James. So maybe it's been updated and it's more nuanced in the commandment now. But in the King James, that's very clear. Don't kill. And then, uh, but in our culture, what do we do with the military service then, right? Um, when we're mm-hmm. called upon uh, to uh, sacrifice in the military, which presumably at times involves killing other people, right? And so we we find ways to talk about, well, in that case, it's not really killing, it's something else. And so, but that's not always been the case in Christianity. So Augustine, St. Augustine or Augustine, however you prefer to pronounce it, he would not allow soldiers to be baptized uh, because mm-hmm. of the killing. He would not allow town magistrates like judges to be baptized because they might have to order executions as part of their civic mm-hmm. duties. And so for us, you know, I think uh, we're, not, we're not very troubled for the most part uh, by the idea of killing in war or in self-defense, but we may be troubled more when it comes to the idea of killing unborn babies and abortion. Uh, and so um, in these cases, right, we're not very consistent with the plain command of Ten Commandments, don't kill. And um, we start to raise questions about how we justify some of our societal practices voting habits, uh, things that, that motivate us to go to the polls and things like that, uh, that can become uh, frustrating for some folks. So Cole, as we move into our reflection time about our conversation with Chad Maxson, what stood out to you uh, just in that first like 15 minutes of conversation with him? Oh man, I'm so glad that we've decided to break this into three episodes because there's so many good things to try and unpack. And what stood out to me is holy cow, this is a complicated field. Yeah. <laughs> Tr- yeah. Trying to understand what the Bible is saying about the end times or just about anything mm-hmm. seems so complicated. Dr. Maxson has spent his whole life dedicated to this, mm-hmm. and so many of his, of his answers are just like dripping with nuance. Mm-hmm. There's just so much nuance about these topics. He had said when I was talking, I was actually saw him at church this past week, and I was he was kind of asking me a little bit about more about how the interview would go, and I was telling him, and, and he said, "Well, how are you going to feel when I answer your question with the Bible really doesn't say, <laughs> or the Bible isn't explicit <laughs> with this?" And I was like, "That is perfect," because as we've talked about in our podcast a lot, is Scripture is so complex. There are so many ways to view it, so many ways to interpret it. And he even brings it up like 
there's not even like scripture might not be able to be able to be viewed as an objective truth. And that was really, that hit me really hard. I've been sitting on mm. that because like my whole role as a pastor is trying to point to some objective truths and would someone who studies scripture, but also is really deep in the study of theology, him saying, if we don't have God's lens, we can't read this perfectly. It's crazy how much faith becomes so central to how we read scripture. Cause it's not, it's, I mean, that, that hit me hard too. The idea that there, there is an objectively true way to interpret scripture, but mm-hmm. we are not the ones sitting beside God or peering over his shoulder mm-hmm. while it's written. And so we don't have that same knowledge. And so we are trying mm-hmm. to interpret and get towards that and arrive at an objective truth. But ultimately it's only through mm-hmm. faith that we'll ever mm-hmm. convince ourselves that anything that we're reading is true. I was in chapel today at, at the university. I wonder if Chad was, uh, Dr. Max was actually there, but uh, the speaker had kind of said something along the lines of, in your reading of scripture, if you are not being challenged and convicted, you might not be reading it right. And I was sitting there going like, well, but at some point after reading it so much, don't you kind of get less challenged or less convicted? And he's kind of said, and like he'd said, like, if you can only see your view in scripture and your view is only being affirmed and approved the entirety you're reading scripture, you're reading it poorly. And as I was reflecting on that chapel service and reflecting on our conversation with Dr. Maxson, that's where I think Chad's almost, for me, highlight of humility Mm, in our reading of scripture really hit home of if we are reading scripture to affirm what we believe, then maybe we're not coming into it with the humility needed to sit here and go, Lord, fill my cup. There's a, oh man, I I was watching a, a real... Uh, last year, it's really shaped how I do sermon writing now, where uh, one of the pastor's first steps before reading scripture is he prays to be emptied. Like, Lord, will you remove anything in me going into this reading? Mm. And then when I get to reading, may you fill me up. That's the second step is being filled. And I wonder how often we come into these things with already full cups, or we come into it with red, uh, rose-colored glasses, that we are then um, not in a in, not in a, a vicious or 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 a rude way, uh, but we start manipulating scripture based off of the context we're in, based off of the feelings we already have. Maybe our practice as humble Christians is to be more empty. Mm in in our in our attempts to read scripture. Yeah, that's really good. If you approach scripture with a preconceived notion of what it says, I think your belief or your preconceived notion is only going to be confirmed. He talks about mm. what what was it? First Thessalonians where yeah. um we like meet Jesus in the clouds on the day of his second coming and then descend to earth. And if you yeah. were to read that with a conception of heaven is a place in the clouds, you're like, "Oh yeah, yeah I'm going up." But then he said the trajectory trajectory, of Jesus is towards the earth, which like mind blown. That's so cool. (laughs) And that's like, if I were to read that, looking to be confirmed about what I thought about heaven, Mm. I might read that as in our home is in the clouds. And it's Mm. only with a more nuanced perspective that I get this fuller picture of Jesus isn't 
coming in the clouds over earth, but is coming mm. through the clouds to earth. Mm. Mind blown. Yeah. yeah. And I think, and you had another kind of mind blown reaction in the interview when he talked about that there's no Spanish word for righteousness. And I've been thinking about that all morning in the sense of how often are we reading scripture with like, as we read the NIV or the ESV or the common English Bible or the NASB or any of those things, how often are we reading that? And we, we hold tight to those words mm-hmm. where if we read it in a different language, even a different uh, interpretation, or even in the, orig- the original Hebrew or Greek, how often is what we read in it going to be changed, going to be adjusted a little bit? Because if I'm sitting there going, I mean, I'm trying to think of scripture verses with like the word uh, righteousness in there. But if I'm if I'm substituting righteousness with justice, as Dr. Maxson points out, my take on that becomes so different because righteousness could sound like a, an inner thing easily. Mm-hmm. But justice seems kind of like an outward thing more often. I am bringing what is just around me. And that, again, I think that totally starts to change how we view scripture. So we have to, have to, have to, have to be humble. Yeah, the humility, the intellectual humility when approaching scripture was, I think the main takeaway for me in this is that it's very complex and our culture has no, is not at fault, but by the fact that it surrounds us and permeates everything we do, it influences the way that we are looking at mm-hmm. scripture and the way that we interact with with scripture. Mm-hmm. And so this conversation kind of brought up a lot of questions about how we read scripture and what we can actually learn about the end times through scripture. And so, and that's kind of where we're going to leave it today. We're not going to do much more about talking about solutions until next week. And I think what I want to do over the next week is to kind of sit in that uncertainty and be comfortable with it. I mean, we've talked about the sin of certainty. We've talked about approaching scripture and approaching Christianity with preconceived notions that limit our perspectives. Mm. And I think this will be a fun thing that we're doing here Mm. to split it up Mm. into multiple parts. And I think it's going to give us a chance to sit Mm. and think about the nuance of scripture Mm. and how we can grow and learn from embracing that nuance. And what I loved about this is that Dr. Maxson still said eschatology matters. Like mm-hmm. even in the like n- nuances of answers, even in maybe not having an objective truth to some things, how we view this thing really matters. And I'm excited as we get more into this conversation, seeing how those things matter start to play into how we live our lives and how we interact with those around us. And I know we really dive into that in episodes two and episodes three. Yeah. So I hope you enjoyed this episode and our first part of our interview with Dr. Chad Maxson. And we hope that you'll tune back in next week and hear the next part of that conversation. And it's, it's, it was an awesome conversation and so thankful for Dr. Maxson and him taking his time out of his day to talk to us. And we hope that these interviews can be helpful for all of us as we try to discern what scripture says, how it applies to our life and how we can grow as Christians through the faithful reading of scripture. See y'all next week. 